This is Sunday afternoon, going to continue on with a short video lecture today. Just an announcement, um, tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. your quiz will be released. If you are watching this video now and haven't taken the quiz, please do that before you, uh, before you watch this video. Again, I'm going to release this tonight. This is Sunday night around 7 o'clock. Um, but if you're just getting this Monday morning, then please do the quiz first. None of what is on section five will be on that quiz, so you don't have to concern yourself with that, at least for the quiz. The exam is Tuesday. So right now, this will be what is called lecture five. It's a kind of a mini lecture. There will be also a lecture six that I'll release tomorrow morning. So long story short, you should have all, all told four video lectures uh, or podcasts, depending on how you consume the, the, uh, the material prior to the exam on Tuesday. Um, the exam is a short essay exam. It's 10 questions. Um, you'll have all day to complete it. It'll be released at 7, and you'll have until 6 p.m. to finish that as well. I'll give you some more information about the, ex the exam and, and announcements as well, but just so you're, just so you're aware. All right, the last thing I'd like to do before we kind of wrap up government is just talk about some comparison. One of the things that we do in this class, as we talked about, is we do some comparison. We compare things, eras, um, ideas to one another. And so what I want to do is to compare different types of governments that exist in the world. And in particular, I want to describe two different types of democratic governments. Um, the main types that exist in the world in terms of democratic governments are what are called a parliamentary style and a presidential style. So when we think about different kinds of democratic governments in the world, we typically don't break them down ideologically speaking, like this is a conservative or this is a liberal or this is a right wing or this is a left wing. We can do that when we look at the party structure. But at the at the 30,000 kind of foot level, when we look at um, how we would describe a different style of government, we would look in how governments are structured. And so just to be, you know, make it the most simple way possible, the United States government is structured in a presidential style democratic system. And just for example, Great Britain is structured in a, um, a parliamentary style system. If we look at the Americas generally, and by the Americas generally, I mean like everything from the United States, South, Mexico, Central America, South America, most of those governments are presidential style governments, all right? which means that there are three, three branches of government, and then there is a singular presidential figure that comes out of the executive branch. All right. Most of the governments in Europe, for example, are parliamentary style, which means that there is um, a fusion, as we'll talk about, between the executive and the um, legislative branch. And the leader, um, as it were, comes from that legislative branch. Again, we're going to get into all this today. But I wanted to do this just to offer some comparison and also so you learn a bit about sort of how governments function in the rest of the world. If you're following the news this morning, um, Israel has elected a new government. Israel is a parliamentary style system. And so uh, and they're a very unique system. I, I could spend all day talking about Israel and I won't. But the way Israel's government operates, it's a democratic government, but its design is very, very different than the design of the United States. Um, and so uh, the, the news coming out of Israel this morning was, was pretty momentous for, for kind of, I think, some international political reasons. Um, but if you followed that news, you'll note that, that the way they arrived at their government was different than the way we would do it in the U.S. And, and, I, and I'll say this of presidential systems before we get, get started. 
because the Electoral College, the U.S. has its own kind of funky way it, it arrives at its president, um, which is not the case with with other presidential systems. But we're going to leave that alone for the time being and, and maybe talk about that uh, another day. All right. So let's talk about different types of democratic governments, beginning with the difference between a parliamentary and presidential system as it pertains to heads of state and heads of government. All right, let's just make the easiest way we can. You know about Great Britain, you know they have a, a queen, Queen Elizabeth, all right? And if you if you don't know so much about their political system, you may also know they have something called a prime minister. Right now, that, that prime minister's name is Boris Johnson. So in Great Britain, we have this clearly identified um, uh, executive leader known as the queen and this clearly uh, uh, noted executive leader and the prime minister. Um, but really what the queen is, is what we would call a head of state. What the queen exists and the royal family exists in Great Britain to act as a sort of figurehead, a representative of the state of the country. So you'll note like right now the euro is going on, like, and I, and I don't know if this has actually happened, but I, I remember this in previous, like the, in the Olympics is happening. The queen might go and represent uh, Great Britain on behalf of the world, or sorry, on, beha on behalf of, of Great Britain. Um, and that's not really a political function. It's more a function of a dignitary. And so that's what we call a head of state. A head of state does the representational types of things um, of a country. Who's the head of government then? The head of government is the prime minister. What is the head of government? The head of government is the person that does the day-to-day -day business of government. All right. Now, if we look throughout Europe, we will note that some places like Sweden still have a monarchy, still have a king. And other places like Estonia or Latvia, Lithuania do not have a king or a queen, but they do have a president. In that particular case, their president is their head of state, is their sort of figurehead. They're not always doing the day-to-day -day business of government. Some In some, some places they are, but in many places, it's the prime minister who's the head of government that is doing the day-to-day -day business of accomplishing the tasks of government. Long story short, what do you need to know about the head of state and the head of government? The head of state is the figurehead, the representation of the people. The head of government is the, the, the worker bee. The head of government is the one going to work every single day on behalf of their party or on behalf of the people doing the work of government that has to be done for a country to function. In a parliamentary system, it's clearly divided who the head of state is and who the head of government is. In a presidential system, the head of state and the head of government are combined. All right. So Joe Biden is the head of state. He is the, the representation, the figurehead, the embodiment of the American people. Right. So right now he's actually in Europe representing the United States. He's not representing the United States as a Democrat. He's not representing the United States as a liberal. He is simply representing the United States. That's part of his head of state role. He's also the head of government, which means that like right now he is talking to various senators to try to pass legislation that he would prefer. Now, he doesn't write the legislation, but he can contribute his ideas, and his ideas are aligned with things that he would like to see accomplished. The same is true when there was President Trump or where there was President Obama or there was President Bush or President Clinton. The head of state and the head of government in, the, in a presidential system are one and the same. They both have a role as kind of a figurehead, as a representative of the American people in this particular case, and they're also doing the day-to-day -day business of government. They make decisions. In the case of like, for example, the Queen of England, the Queen of England is not going and getting up and putting her crown on every day and doing the day-to-day the -day business of government. That's not her job. 
Her job is to represent the, the interest of the people broadly defined in representational sort of ways, right? The, the shaking hands and kissing babies type of approach. So, you know, when, um, and I don't want to get far too far down this rabbit hole, but, you know, the idea that, that Prince Harry and his wife, uh, uh, Princess Meghan, would, would leave that role, they're not, they're not necessarily leaving a role where they're doing day-to-day work um, in the way the head of government is doing kind of like policy work. But they are doing the work of the people in the sense of a representational kind of idea. So, so like the idea of Prince Harry is more meaningful than what he actually does. So the idea that he left, you know, Britain to go do something else in first in Canada now, and I think he's living in California, you know, is a major kind of blow to the identity of what it means to be the head of state um, and, and, or, 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 or be a part of that group that's the head of state in Britain. That's way more than I want to talk about Prince Harry and Meghan, but anyway. I think you know what I mean. Okay, so first things first, the difference between a parliamentary and a presidential system has to do start has to start with the fact that there are clearly defined roles for head of state and head of government in a parliamentary system. In a presidential system, those um, those two um, I, uh, notions, head of state and head of government, are combined in one person, known as the president. There is no prime minister, um, so to speak, in, a, in a, what we call a presidential system. Again, there are parliamentary systems that have presidents uh, as heads of state, but there are not presidential systems that have prime ministers that, that play a meaningful role in, in, uh, in working out policy. So let's talk about the prime minister and the president. I've already, I've already previewed it. Presidential system is pretty easy. The president is the president, and that's why we call it a presidential system. Some parliamentary systems do have someone called a president, but they are head of state. They are not head of government. And what we are talking about in this particular case is a head of government function, in which case the prime minister in a parliamentary system is the head of government. They are doing the day-to-day business of government. Remember what I said, that eight-word definition? The government is the people empowered in any given moment. Queen Elizabeth has been around since the 30s, all right, in an in a official role. So many prime ministers, so many U.S. presidents have you know, walked through those gates at Buckingham Palace. Um, and met her, and, and her role has not changed. That is not true about heads of government. In the case, in our case of the president, in the case of, in this case, Great Britain, of the prime minister. All right, they are the people in power. Even moment, right now, it's Boris Johnson and Joe Biden. Um, you know, and part of you know, pre like two years ago, it would have been Donald Trump and Theresa uh, 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 Theresa May. All right, um, so yeah. Heads of government change in a way that oftentimes heads of state, in this particular case, the queen, does not. Let's talk now about separation of powers and checks and balances a little bit. One of the things that you'll note about parliamentary systems is that parliamentary systems have a fusion of power, whereas in presidential systems, there is clearly defined separate powers. Let's talk about a presidential system first, since this is the one you're probably most familiar with. As we discussed last time, we talked about horizontal accountability. In presidential systems, especially the one we have designed in the U.S., there are clearly defined roles for the president, the legislature, or the legislative branch, and the judicial branch. As I mentioned previously, our judicial branch is very, very strong compared to even other presidential systems, and certainly more strong than in parliamentary systems. In a presidential separation of power system, the president is elected independently of the other branches. 
Now I know, and we know this now in more detail, if you didn't know, because of what happened on January 6th, we do know that there are some technical things that Congress has to do in order to produce a new president. But what I'm mentioning, or what I'm trying to articulate here, is that the president in a presidential system is not, does not, and in fact cannot be a member of another branch of government. Joe Biden was a senator from Delaware. Once he became the president, he could no longer be a senator from Delaware. He had to exist in a separate space, as it were, the office of the executive from the Senate. So they actually had to replace him. The same happened with uh, President Obama. Now, uh, uh, President Trump was not a member of uh, Congress. He was never a politician, right? And so his transition was fairly seamless in, in the grand scheme of things compared to a parliamentary system because he did not have a role in any part of government at all. What's the point here? The point here is not only does our president, and this is true of most presidential systems, come from an independently elected source, in our case, the Electoral College vis-a-vis -vis states that are votes cast in states, but they actually can't be a member of another body. Why does this matter? Because in a parliamentary system, you must be a member of parliament in order to become a prime minister, all right? Parliamentary systems um, oftentimes create what are called coalition-style governments. Now, Great Britain, it is, they do form a coalition, that does happen. Um, coalitions more, more, more likely happen in really multi-party systems like Israel, which I talked about earlier. Ignore that for just a moment and, and have laser focus in about the, the thing I wanna say next. In a fusion parliamentary system, the member of parliament is essentially nominated by the winning party in the election. So if more conservatives than um, Labour Party and Labour Labor and, and conservatives are the two major parties in Great Britain, if more conservatives than Labour parties get seats in Parliament, then the conservatives get to pick who their prime minister is. But they must have been a duly elected parliamentarian. They must come from, um, you know, a place, some place in this case in Great Britain, where they are elected to serve in Parliament. And then the leading party in this case, conservatives, said, Boris Johnson, you're the guy, all right? Or Theresa May, you're the woman. Or Tony Blair, you're the guy, whatever the case may be. Now, if elections were held, and we'll talk just in just a second about how elections operate a bit differently as well. If elections are held and Labor gets more votes, or Lib Dems, that's the other third party in Great Britain, if they get more votes, then they would get the choice in how to, um, uh, who to pick, excuse me, who to pick for um, for the prime minister. So how do you get a president in the United States? This funky thing called the Electoral College, which I'm not going to spend a great deal of time on today, but essentially they are elected independently of any other body that exists politically. And if you are, like Joe Biden was or Barack Obama was, if you are a member of any other political body, you must remove yourself from that body and you go to this other place called the executive branch. Donald Trump, again, was not a member of any political group. Um, and so therefore, his transition was a bit more um, easy, I guess you would say, because he didn't have to leave a body and be replaced by another member. Not so, not so in a parliamentary system. In a parliamentary system, the prime minister comes from the parliament. Um, and so this is why we say that 
in a presidential system, there's a separation of power. In a parliamentary system, there's a fusion of power because the executive and the legislative branch are fused together. We cannot get a prime minister without that person coming from the parliamentary uh, or legislative branch. All right, now let's talk about voting uh, as well. Let's start with the system we know probably the most about, the American system of fixed terms. We, and the constitution tells us this, so this is how we know. I can pull out a calendar right now and so could you, and we could tell you from here to infinity when every election will be held in the United States, all right? Now there's some technical details we can't tell you like how late the polling booths are open and how many days you get to vote and all that kind of stuff. But I can tell you right now, the exact Tuesday that the next presidential election will happen. And we can get out a map and do this all the way to infinity because the constitution tells us exactly when the next election will be held. Those are what are known as fixed terms. Do not confuse fixed terms with term limits. Term limits is the idea that, that in this case, a president can only be elected twice and serve for two terms. That's a term limit. A fixed term is just the amount of time someone serves. So a congressperson serves two years before they have to go to re-election. A senator serves six years before they have to go to re-election. A president serves four years before they go to re-election. Once they are elected twice, in the case of the president in the United States, they cannot be elected again. All right. So the reason that uh, that the former President Trump can run in 2024, if he so chooses and were to get the nomination, um, is because he, even though he ran twice for president, he only won once. And so therefore, he's not been elected to two terms of office. All right. Um, what about in a parliamentary system? In a parliamentary system, and this goes into part number 5E as well, so we'll have to talk about these things together. It's the last thing I'll discuss today. We're not going to worry about point number 6. Do not worry about point 6 at all. Um, not worried about that for our purposes. In a parliamentary system, there are traditionally no fixed terms, meaning that you can call elections in parliament whenever the, the legislature wants to call elections. Why would you call elections? Sometimes you call elections because you think you're in a pretty good position and you want to increase the number of conservatives that are in the legislature. You feel like the Labor Party is letting people down. And so you say, now is the time that we want to have elections because we're going to increase our strength. Sometimes that backfires. It backfired a few years ago in Great Britain because the conservatives lost seats when they tried this. The other reason there are no fixed terms in um a parliamentary system or most parliamentary systems has to do with how you remove a uh, head of government, the executive leader, the prime minister in this case from office. And the way you do that, scroll down to part 5e now, the way you do that is through something called a vote of no confidence. And this is also contrasted with our thing called impeachment. Let's talk about impeachment first because it's the one you're probably more familiar with and then we'll go back to vote of no confidence. There are fixed terms in a presidential system. The only way that a president can be removed from office, well, removed, that a president can die in office. We know that there have been four assassinations. We know that those are ways that, that things can happen. Um, the only way to remove a president from office is the president doesn't run again, right? They've served one term and they decide not to run again. Lyndon Johnson did that. A president is voted out of office, Donald Trump, okay? Um, or a president does something that violates the Constitution, violates something known as high crimes and misdemeanors, at least in the American context, at which point articles of impeachment can be brought on the president. 
I want to make something abundantly clear. Impeachment, articles of impeachment is the charge. Three presidents, three presidents, Andrew Johnson, Richard Nixon. Sorry, I almost made the mistake all my students do. Three presidents, Andrew Johnson, Bill Clinton, and Donald Trump were all impeached. Donald Trump has the, um, I guess, inglorious uh, um, reputation to have been impeached twice. Um, But once that charge goes to the Senate, the Senate then can vote for removal. No president has been removed from office by charges of impeachment. Um, Once, uh, sorry, no no president has been removed from office after articles of impeachment have been sent to the Senate. Andrew Johnson survived by one vote. Bill Clinton survived by a number of votes, and uh, same is true with Donald Trump. Donald Trump was a little closer. Uh, President Trump was a little closer in the second round when he was impeached than the first, but um, you have to get to two-thirds, and that's just that's really hard to do. Presidents have left office. I mentioned Richard Nixon accidentally a minute ago. Richard Nixon probably would have been impeached and probably would have been removed from office, um, but he resigned before that could happen. So long story short, There is, in most presidential systems, some mechanism for removing the president um, if they have done something wrong. This is critical here. An impeachment must show that some wrong thing has happened, either something illegal or something highly unethical. All right? Something illegal or something highly unethical. In the case of a vote of no confidence, that doesn't that that bar is not there. You don't have to prove unethical. You don't have to prove illegal. All you have to prove is that you think the prime minister is doing a crummy job and you can offer up a vote of no confidence to get new elections. And that's what happens. All right. So in parliamentary systems, what happens oftentimes is you'll hear about a, a government falling or a government crumbling or a government collapsing in a parliamentary system. Pretty dramatic words, but really it's, I'm not going to say it's standard, but it's not uncommon in a parliamentary system for a government to collapse for the reason that if you lose faith in your parliamentary leader to do what it says they say they are going to do, then you call new elections. This is um, that other version we talked about, not when you're trying to get strength, but because you're trying to remove someone, you call a vote of no confidence and you simply say, this person is no longer able to do their job. All right. So the purpose of today's lecture uh, is to demonstrate that there are different types of governments that exist in the world, even democratic ones. Uh, And we're not talking about just different party names or whether one's more liberal or more conservative. We're not really talking about that. We're talking about the actual structure. In most of the Americas, um, with the exception of Canada, because Canada's part of the Commonwealth still, we have presidential systems. We have clear delineation between the executive, legislative, and the judicial branches. But in most of Europe, um, what we see is parliamentary systems where we have a clear delineation between head of state and head of government, but also a fusion between the parliament and the prime minister. I'm going to stop right there. Just a short one for today. Um, I'm going to post this tonight so you'll have access to it. This is Sunday night at 721 in this case. And Then I'm going to post another lecture about nationality and culture tomorrow morning. I'll put all this again in the announcements so you're not confused. Tuesday morning, 7 a.m., your test will be released. And then tomorrow, Monday at 7 a.m., your quiz will be released. You'll have 60 minutes to complete the quiz once you open it. 
Um, and then your test, you'll have all data finishes, 7 to 6 p.m. Thanks.